Hey y'all, welcome to the Appalachian Overlook, a metaphorical ride up these winding mountain roads where we'll explore topics and questions about what it means to live a good life in Appalachia. My name is Sarah Saavedra and I'll be your host in these conversations, airing here on 90.7 WEHC, the voice of Southwest Virginia, and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. On today's show, we're talking about food. That's right, intuitive eating, mindful eating, whatever you may call it, the anti-diet diet. We're gonna get some advice from someone who knows what she's talking about. She's got a lot of expertise in this field and also owns a business called Solstice Nutrition that really focuses on diet and nutrition, but in a way that is affirming to all body types, health at every size is kind of the motto. And I'm really excited to have her on the show today. So buckle up and join us as we explore this topic. All right. I'm so excited to be joined on the show today via Zoom with Amy Smith, who is got a great business called Solstice Nutrition. And we're going to talk a little bit about mindful eating and uh, intuitive eating and all that stuff. But first, Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and about your business. Sure. Thank you, Sarah. Um, My name is Amy Smith and I live here in Abingdon and I have a nutrition business that focuses on intuitive eating, mindful eating and building healthy relationships with food. So I do see clients outside of that work, you know, on other health conditions, but that's the majority of my clients are people that have chronically dieted and looking for a new path um, forward, a sustainable way of eating that's um, fits better into their lifestyle than fad dieting and that, that kind of, uh, mainstream approach. Yeah. The, the rat race almost, um, yeah. with those diets on and off. Well, as a newer resident of Appalachia, right. So this is the Appalachian overlook. And I love talking about what brings people here. Um, what brought you here to Appalachia? Sure. So I actually moved from Tennessee because of the nutrition laws. Um, I wasn't able to practice in Tennessee, but I was able to practice in Virginia. So my husband and I moved from Kingsport across the state lines into Abingdon um, because we love the area, but because of the nutrition laws being different in Virginia. And it was fantastic because we absolutely love Abingdon and the small town feel and the people are so wonderful and nice and all the outdoor activities. And my son goes to the high school and we just, we just absolutely love the town. That's awesome. It's amazing how 45 minutes away can feel like a totally different world, right? Every time I go to Kingsport, I'm like, where, what is this place? You know, (laughs) and I'm sure Abingdon is just so different. So, well, we're glad you're here. Um, well, tell me a little bit about your personal journey, um, coming to like diet nutrition and that kind of thing as a professional move. Sure. So after I graduated with my master's in nutrition, I was, kind of surprised about, you know, what I was taught in school was very much based on looking at somebody's body size, their weight and determining what they should eat based on that. And after graduating, I just, you know, instead of practicing, I just realized it was, wasn't that easy. It can't be that simple. There's so many aspects that affect our body size and our, and our health, you know, genetics and family history and our environment and all of these things that it just isn't that simple. So I really started doing a lot of research about, you know, how, how are we hurting people in that area, you know, based on weight stigma and telling people they should eat a certain number of calories and causing, you know, causing harm where we shouldn't, shouldn't be. And so I kind of completely, you know, turned my 
practice up, upside down, you know, re, re-examining how I could do this in a different way, which led me to this kind of intuitive eating, non-diet, um, sustainable approach as, a, as opposed to what you would usually see with a nutritionist, which is a very much regimented diet plan with a specific number of calories, um, maybe avoiding carbs, you know, food rules, sure, which I don't sure. want to, don't want to put on people because they're, they can be really restrictive. Yeah. I mean, food rules, I, I think we all have them kind of swirling around in our head and they change so often. It's hard to decide what's right and what's wrong. And, um, it makes us a little, uh, crazy, I think when it comes to mm-hmm. food choices. And so I'm a little interested, um, to explore about harm. You know, you mentioned, you know, that you did a lot of research on the harm that probably were causing ourselves and others maybe in the diet nutrition industry. So would you touch a little bit on that? Sure. Yeah. So I think one of the the main things that sticks out is weight stigma. Um, and that, that is in the the healthcare setting really is, you know, we're looking at people based on their body size and assuming that they're not healthy, which is completely inaccurate. Sure. Um, so that's the first thing is, you know, how is weight stigma affecting people mental in their mental health journey. So not only physically, but how are we affecting their mental health by, by, you know, considering them to be unhealthy because they live in a larger body size. A lot of the other harm from food rules and food restriction comes from the biological way that the body works. So if we restrict something, let's say carbs, your body naturally craves them. And then what usually happens is we crave them so much that we give in and we eat them and we overeat them because we restrict them for so long. So then we binge on them, then we feel guilty. And then it goes into this mental, you know, health journey part of it. And then we go on another diet and the cycle <laughs> continues. And then there's this physical harm of losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, which does a lot of harm to us, um, our metabolism, um, and just really our immune system, full body, you know, things happen when we're, we're losing weight, gaining weight over and over. And, and that seems to be a cycle that I think people get really tired of, you know, um, in my personal journey, when I got sober, I also kind of replaced drinking with running, which was fantastic. Um, and I still am a runner, but I lost like 45 pounds. And Mm -hmm. for me, that was like, it was gigantic. I had never been able to lose weight when I tried. And so all of a sudden I was just losing a ton of weight and almost too much weight. And then I decided to kind of scale back. And then of course COVID's here. And so now I'm, you know, up about half of that. So I, as I am moving back into, this is why this conversation is so fascinating and timely for me personally is because as I'm moving into being more active and getting back out of the house, you know, after pandemic quarantine, I mean, which we're all really still in, but learning new ways to do that. Um, I'm really not interested in dieting or necessarily losing those other, you know, what I had lost before, because that was never the goal. The goal is really to feel really good about yourself. So what do people get wrong about food? And I'm so sure they get a lot wrong, but yeah. yeah. First impression. And, and it's all very much comes from society. You know, we sure. live in a, in a society that that idolizes the thin and idolizes a certain body type. So a lot of it comes from there. And then a lot of it comes from how we were raised, you know, our food rules come from our parents usually. Um, So, you know, those are, those are things that are out of our control, but the things we can control is how we, you know, look at food. So I would think the biggest thing is that right now we look at food as it, as if it has moral value, there's good food and there's bad food. And if I eat bad food, I'm a bad person. If I eat good food, then I'm a good person. 
And so that's the biggest thing that, that I work on with clients is how can we take away this system where food has this moral compass that, that, you know, ultimately doesn't have anything to do with us. Right. It, sure. So instead of looking at food as good or bad, I like to look at food as functional and fun. Right. And there's room for both of those things. So there's always room for fun foods. Do we need them every meal all the time? Of course not, but we need to make space for them. And then the functional foods are those foods that we depend on to, you know, for energy and to feel well, and to, they're the ones that serve us and, you know, serve our body serve our energy, serve our mind. And so really taking that, that idea away that if I eat bad food, I'm a bad person. Absolutely. No, I think that's a really great uh, one. I know as a parent trying to instill that it's like the first thing we do is like, Oh no, you're eating too much dessert. Well, I mean, that's at the very beginning, right. Where it starts putting that morality against it. And even though I don't think that I know I've done it, you know, or punish someone for stealing, you know, a cookie or, you know, whatever it is. So it can be really tricky to navigate. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that's, and like you said, it it usually comes from our parents, those food rules that we developed, whether we realize it or not came from, you know, being raised in whatever the food rules of the house were. So, you know, we hear stories of, you know, okay, children that aren't allowed to have food in their house, when they go to the friend's house, they overindulge or they still, still candy. And then, you know, it's because they're restricted there there. And then they're overindulging because of the restriction. Yeah. Okay. So let's um, talk a little bit about the definition of intuitive eating and get into that. So from what I understand, it was a term coined in 1995 and it was two dietitians who really observed their patients like on that chronic dieting journey. Right. And they would do well and they'd have discipline but inevitably they'd fail at maintaining that. So for our listeners who might not be familiar with the concept, explain to us what intuitive eating means. Sure. So like you said, it was developed by two dietitians, um, Evelyn Tribley and Elise Reich. And the idea is that it's anti-diet. Um, and the main goal is to listen to your body. So it, it moves through several principles. There's 10 total, but kind of an overview of them is you learn to, to, reject diet mentality first, and then you start to listen to your body. So a lot of that is through hunger and fullness cues, which we usually don't have if we've chronically dieted because we follow the rules of the diet, not necessarily how our body feels. So that could be, you know, if you intermittent fasted, you may not, your body may not have regular hunger cues, or if you um, limited your calorie intake, your body might not know when it's hungry or full because we've ignored them to the point of them disappearing. And then it really builds on there, like on, on, from that onto the satisfaction factor of food, I'm really beginning to re re, rebuild that relationship where we actually enjoy the food that we're eating. Mm. And then it also touches on um, building a healthy relationship with movement and also learning to respect your body, which is some body image work. And then ultimately ends with principle 10, which is the gentle nutrition. And the nutrition comes last on purpose because we want to rebuild the, the relationship with food before we start focusing on what is, what, what should we be eating? Um, and it really doesn't get into a, a point of where it's a certain amount of calories, but the main thing is, you know, making sure we're enjoying a fat, a carb and a protein with every meal and kind of building from there. So that's why we call it gentle nutrition. There's not, there's not rules about it. Just kind of like some guidelines. Gentle nutrition. I just love that term. Let's be gentle with ourselves in all things, including one of the most vital things to our existence, right? Which is food. Uh, I love that Amy Smith from Solstice Nutrition is taking us through the way to do that. 
stay with us. We're going to take a little break for a song. I thought it would be good to do a throwback, an old school song, original body positivity. This is India Ari, her song, Video. folks that was india re with her song video from way back in the day you're listening to 90.7 wehc the voice of southwest virginia and this is the appalachian overlook 
I'm your host, Sarah Saavedra, and you are joining us on an interview with Amy Smith from Solstice Nutrition. We're talking about intuitive eating and uh, all that comes along with that and how to treat yourself well and be a little bit more mindful about what we're saying to ourselves, what we think about food, all these food rules. So let's jump right back into the interview with Amy. Well, and I, I'm sure, and I'm sure, you know, um, that there is science that supports this kind of approach versus, you know, 1200 calories and what we've read studies about carbs and keto and, you know, all those things. So tell us a little bit about the science behind why this approach is, is more. Yeah, there's a ton of science and it's growing. So luckily there's as the, as this idea is growing and getting more, um, backing the science is growing on it as well, but the intuitive eating, um, approach has been around for a while. So the, the, there's several studies about it. Um, the main thing is that the science is just kind of backing that, you know, dieting is leading to eating disorders. And so intuitive eating can be used in that approach as well. Um, and you know, this, this science behind how our body biologically works with that restriction, binge guilt cycle, and how we can kind of recoup from that when we stop forbidding foods and move towards this idea that all foods can fit. I love that. Well, and you know, because it sounds so much like what we talk about on this podcast is being mindful of your feelings and not judging your feelings and letting them move through you and all these things. So now we're talking and like moving your body as a way of self-care and not as punishment and all these kinds of things. And so it feels a little overwhelming though, right? Sometimes when it's so tied to like knowing yourself that's not something that we do much of, especially when you were just talking about those hunger cues and, you know, like for me, I've noticed my hunger cues aren't, um, a growling stomach. The first, uh, instinct is when I start to get a little bit of a headache, then I realize I need to eat something. So tell us a little bit about like, how do you, how do you make it less complicated to get started with this kind of thing? Sure. So usually when we're starting the process, the first thing we do is look at diet culture. So with my clients, I do a full diet history. So we go through every diet you've ever been on. And the main reason behind that is to, to determine that in fact, it doesn't work, right? Cause we have to, we have to come to terms with the point that dieting doesn't work before we can move on with the process. Sure. And so that means looking at food rules and those type of things. And then next we start learning how to tune into the body, which is super hard. As you said, if you aren't used to doing that. So we usually start really basic with what we, what I call or what is called the universal attunement question, which is basically just asking yourself in a moment, how do I feel? And the only option is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And so just checking in with your body and thinking, okay, I'm, you know, I'm sitting in my chair. How do I feel? Maybe my back's a little bit sore. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little bit hungry. Do I feel pleasant in the moment? And just starting to tune in because people are not used to actually being in touch with how they feel. And that's really the first step to understanding how food is going to make you feel. So really just starting very basic and then building on it. And it, it does take a lot of time. It's not something that we, you know, work on for a couple of weeks and and we've got it. It's a very, you know, it's a journey and it's, you know, it's constantly evolving and there is backslides, you know, especially with diet culture and, you know, it's, we're surrounded with the commercials and the, the advertisement. And so, you know, it is, it is a journey of, trying to get past that, that diet culture mindset too. Yeah, it is a, just such a reframing. And I imagine that this is work that 
seems like too complicated. Like maybe counting calories every day for the rest of your life sounds, uh, you know, upfront, like a quicker solution. So what would you say to that? Like, as far as God, that sounds like so much work. I don't even want to start there. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic point. And it, the, you know, the thing with dieting or counting calories or anything is we spend a lot of time obsessing about it and we don't really realize how much time we're wasting until we stop doing it. Right. And so dieting is a huge investment of time and money and energy, um, money, especially. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we start to look at how much, how much are we spending? You know, how much headspace are we spending? How much money, how much of my day am I obsessing about food? And people that, you know, calorie count or carb count are inherently focusing on food all day long because they have to make sure that the totals add up. So when you stop doing that, you start to re, you know, realize how much time you're wasting doing that. Um, And the idea of the intuitive eating is that all of that happens naturally. By the time you're, you know, you're kind of through the journey, you know how to listen to your body and it tells you what to eat and you just follow it. Right. I wonder, do, do you find that your clients, um, often come to you maybe with the intention of losing weight, but then that goal changes as they go through the process? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, the majority of people that I work with have that on the back burner. And that's something that we discuss is like, it's totally okay to want, want to lose weight. We live in a society where that, that, you know, that, that thought is normal. Um, there's nothing, nothing wrong with it, but in order to do this work, we kind of have to put it on the back burner. And when I ask people to put on the back burner, we don't have to get rid of it. But by the time we're done, you know, going through part of the journey, usually it loses its importance because they feel more in touch with their body and they feel better that the losing weight fantasy doesn't become as big, you know, as important as they thought it was. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, feeling good in your body and knowing how it feels, if that's what you're actively working on, that doesn't have to do with weight necessarily. Um, so such a mental health, um, piece to this, the, I really, I wrote down a note here with the pleasant, unpleasant and neutral, because I know like when you're first starting to recognize your feelings and how your body feels, and that's something that we're just not, we're always looking outside of ourselves to tell us how we feel, um, that just having three words to choose from is super helpful. So I, I just wanted to say that again, for our listeners, just that pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. And that's a really good place to start. I think that would be great for any kind of mindfulness, like how we feel and then going on from there. Um, what is the biggest misconception you feel like people have when they first start working, uh, with an intuitive eating coach? I think that the biggest misconception is that, and it's also a fear is that once you allow yourself to eat whatever you want, that you're going to go out of control, that you're, you're never going to choose healthy food again. And that is a totally realistic fear and, you know, completely validated. Um, but we see that that doesn't happen. So you may overindulge in the beginning, but eventually it balances out. So usually any kind of overindulgence in the beginning is things that we restricted to start with. And so biologically, we're just, you know, kind of making up for the point that we wouldn't allow ourselves to have them, but it does start to balance out. And when you learn to really tune into your body and see what serves you, you're going to start choosing foods that make you feel better, which are inherently going to be those foods that are more functional as opposed to fun. So I think a lot of people are worried when I say, oh, you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want to. And they're like, oh, well, what if all I want to do is eat donuts all day? (laughs) You can definitely eat donuts all day, but you're probably not going to feel great. And so your body's going to is going to guide you on that. And, you know, then you're going to make food choices that serve your body better than the donuts all day. 
Yeah, absolutely. What restrictions do you feel like, or maybe not restrictions, barriers is probably a better word. Do you feel like people come into with this intuitive eating approach um, most often? Um, I think really it's a misconception about food. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have this idea that carbs are bad. Um, we also have, I have some clients that are diabetic. And so they were told when they were, when they were diagnosed, oh, you shouldn't eat white bread or white potatoes or white rice. We have this idea that because it's white, it's not, we, we shouldn't have it. And so I think a lot of it is just a misconception about that diet culture is created about what, what foods actually serve us and what don't. And the truth is all food has new, you know, has nourishment, has nutrients in it. It's just a matter of some have more and some have less. So sure. this idea that, that there's foods that are better than others, um, I think is just a huge misconception that, that that's created mostly by diet culture. And, and I think you're right. I've, I know in my journey with sobriety that at first when I was restricting myself, it felt very restrictive to not drink and not go into that typical habit. But the more I tuned into how I felt, the more that it was like, Oh, I will never drink again. I don't ever want to feel like that again. And so, and not that people have to quit drinking. That was my journey, but I imagine the same thing with eating as you realize like, okay, yeah, I, I can have a donut, but honestly, it doesn't make me feel good. And so coming to that place naturally with yourself feels easier than just the restriction part. Yeah. And that brings up something in my mind too. We talk about alcohol sometimes being a coping mechanism. And for a lot of people, food is their coping mechanism. And so this idea of emotional eating or stress eating comes up a lot too. And really part of that journey is finding out where those stresses are coming from and finding alternate ways to cope with them outside of food and then training our brain to choose those alternatives as opposed to the food. So for a lot of people, that's a big piece of the journey is why are they overeating in certain you know, instances? It's usually stress. Um, and usually going towards foods that are high in carbs because our body is craving them. And so that coping mechanism piece also plays into the intuitive eating too. Man, it's also fascinating. I love this stuff. I love the science of it. And I love how holistic this approach is because it's very much like, you know, everything is tied to it, your mental health, your sleep, you know, your with the coping mechanisms that food is not just a tool, but it's also something that releases dopamine. And I mean, all of these things, it's really just so fascinating. So, um, but we're about to run out of time. So my last question for you is how would you tell someone like, if they just want to begin to trust their own intuition, right? What's the first thing that they should do? So I would suggest probably starting with the question, like we mentioned before, really starting to tune in to yourself and see how you feel and, you know, do that after you eat, eat something and then really truly tune in an hour later and think about, you know, how does my body feel? Am I feeling bloated? Is my brain, do I have brain fog? Am I thinking clearly and kind of look at how different foods make you feel different ways. And that'll start to help you tune into the power that food has outside of, you know, just thinking about how many calories it is. Absolutely. And for our listeners who are more interested in services like yours, how can they find you? Um, so you can find me on my website. It is www.soulstice, so solsticenutrition.com. And I do have, um, I do see clients one-on-one and I also have a program out right now that is an, is kind of like a first step into intuitive eating. So it is called the Reawaken Project. And it encompasses intuitive eating, self-care, body image work, and stress work. 
So kind of all in one place. And so that's a good place if you're not really ready to start working with a coach or with a nutritionist, it's kind of a good way to kind of dip your toes in and see, you know, see how it feels. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for joining us on the podcast today, folks, check out solsticenutrition.com. I will put the URL in the show notes and thank you so much. I really appreciated it. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for joining us folks this week on the Appalachian Overlook. I hope you'll join us next week where we'll continue to dive into these topics, exploring what it means to live a good, well-rounded and balanced life here in Appalachia. We'll catch you next time.